bottle there sucks. Ah, this was supposed to work. <laughs> Stupid bottle opener. I bent it enough that I could just pull it off, but good enough. Welcome to Drake to the Past, the only podcast where the theme song is me failing somehow to open beer. But uh, enough about me. Before? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, maybe I've used this one before, or maybe because this seems like oddly familiar. But maybe I haven't done this on the podcast before, and then I forgot about it. But uh, maybe maybe the bottle opener was upside down. I'm not sure. Anyway, why would they design a bottle opener that cannot be used in both directions? They should go both ways. But enough about me. Uh, so, uh, I'm Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, your inglorious host, and this, as always, is my co-host. Chris saying... Audette. Yeah. Couldn't think of a good, stupid middle name in the middle of your name? No, apparently what I did say just got cut off. Oh. Cool. So, Chris, cut off Audette. Got it. Good enough for yeah. me. Anywho. Don't uh, cut me off. <laughs> so, the first part of the podcast is the news and booze with Sean Drinks Something Stupid. Uh, Sean drinks something stupid today is a Singapore sling, although I looked up a recipe because I was like, what is actually in a Singapore sling? Because I always do these little like bottle things where it's like dump a bottle in with a shot of this and then it's a cocktail. And a Singapore sling apparently normally has like a fairly more complex arrangement where it's like some of the ingredients on the bottom and then club soda like in the middle and other stuff floating on top. And then garnishes and stuff. So it's not really quite as much as that. It, it's it's mostly red stuff with a shot of gin in it. So, you know, good enough, I guess. And uh, it, it, for a little thing that comes in a bottle, I'm sure it'll do something. Maybe it doesn't do the drink justice, but I don't know. I'm not a bartender. I'm just, I'm a beer guy that drinks weird stuff on the podcast so I don't get bored. So uh, what are you drinking this week, Chris? Uh, same thing I drank last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, left Hand Brewing Co. Milk Stout Nitro. You know, I used to work at McDonald's, and we had cherries to top Sundays or... No, we didn't. What did, what did we use cherries for? We had cherries, but we didn't have cherry Sundays. What did we have cherries for? I have no idea. Anyways, they came in like this, you know, big old gob of juice... That, uh, you know, it's not real cherry juice. It's just some sort of syrupy stuff. And uh, that's pretty much what this cocktail tastes like, except with gin in it. Which is a really odd pairing. Maraschino cherries and gin. I don't know. I'm not much of a gin guy, but I wouldn't think to pair it with <coughs> anything as uh, sticky sweet like that. But... Uh, sticky and sickly sweet. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of an odd pairing. It's not, like, terrible... Um, cause yeah, it's like floralness doesn't go with this kind of sweet, I feel like. So gin and like maraschino cherry juice, which I'm pretty sure that entire bottle was just maraschino cherry syrup juice stuff that they stole from a McDonald's. I'm, I'm, I'm betting it. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of weird. Um... I'm going to give it an 8. It's going to be sticky as crap on the back of my throat, and I'm never going to be able to tell what it is. 
My wife is now going to try it, and because she's drinking on the podcast, she also has to rate it on a scale of 3 to 17. It does sound more like the kind of thing my wife would like, though. Oh, nope, oh, there's the grimace. What do you rate? Two on a scale of 3 to 17. It's got a negative one racial enhancement penalty. <laughs> wow. You don't like gin and maraschino cherry juice? I like gin. Do you like maraschino cherry juice? Usually. <laughs> but this is wrong. <laughs> it's got like a very abrasive taste at first. Mm-hmm. And then the aftertaste is just like mm-hmm. staying for forever. Mm-hmm. Throw that shit out. No, it's it's drink to the past. I have to drink it. Oh. That's the rules. And now the audience can say goodbye to my wife. I want. To, I just want to play Spyro. Okay, my wife is going to play Spyro, which is on sale right now. Because if you haven't heard, the first piece of news and booze that I didn't actually write down is that there is massive spring sales on the Nintendo eShop as well as the PlayStation, uh, whatever their non eShop eShop thing is called. Um, so yeah. There's, there's that. Go go check out games. The Witcher is 15 bucks for the all the DLC and shit included. Witcher Which 3. is awesome. Yeah, so there's that. All right. Uh, so first piece of news and booze. Occasionally we do birthdays here for the birthdays of video games. And uh, April 2nd marks the 26th birthday of Final Fantasy VI. So uh, is that your favorite Final Fantasy, Chris? Uh, I don't know if my, it's my favorite. But it's up there. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, something about it has never drawn me in quite enough to beat it, uh, which I think is a little bit of a harder thing with the older Final Fantasies. Like, between 1 through 6, the only two that I've beat are number 1 <coughs> and 4. Because uh, Final Fantasy and 4 I is feel my favorite. Like, 1 had enough updates that you could beat it and it wasn't nearly so grindy. Yeah, that was kind of... The story. Yeah, because the story and characters in 4 really just kind of pulled me in like no other Final Fantasy game ever had. Like, not even 7. Actually, come to think of it, I've never quite beat 7. I've I've gone quite a ways in. Um, Never quite got to disc 3, but I'm told disc 3 is mostly cutscenes. So, I don't know. But, um, speaking of Final Fantasy VII, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake is shipping early in some countries, including the... in Europe and in Australia, so I'm not sure exactly the specifics on that, but, uh, it's, uh, basically to kind of get it so that hopefully people around the world can get it closer to the same time, uh, due to whatever delays inevitably come from the spread of coronavirus. Because, you know, all the stores are closing and all that crap, so it's going to be tricky to get your hands on these We're copies. recording this during a pandemic. Yeah, weird, right? In ten years, they'll be like, oh, those sissies, they were afraid of the flu or whatever. And we'll be like, no, dude, like a bunch of people died. Read a textbook. But That's anyway. what my boss is saying, though. <laughs> uh, so, what do you think about that? Do you think that's a good way to handle it? Because I... I 
am like okay with this, uh, but I feel like people are being butthurt on the internet like they always are. That they're like, oh, those people get to experience it like a week before me, and they're gonna post all the spoilers and the data mines and all this, and I'm just like, shut up. It's it's either they get them before you or you get it before Stay them. Off and they, those websites. Right? Yeah. It's like you're you're you do the Stop same thing. Bang right? a baby. <laughs> The same thing would happen to them if they didn't get this. So it's like, I feel like this is like trying to mitigate that to get it out to some of the people that are like physical only collectors like me. Like I barely ever buy digital games. Um, I happen to have accidentally bought some because of the spring sale. But, um, you know. Anyway. Um, Bethesda has announced via Twitter they will not have a digital showcase in June. So a lot of uh, no news and those. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, basically, the uh, idea was that a lot of people are kind of getting in their heads is that oh, all the developers will still still do a digital event like a Nintendo Direct or whatever they do, a Sony State of Play, what have you, uh, around the same time as E3 to keep the E3 hype quote unquote alive. And I'm like, there's not really any evidence pointing to that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Nintendo did because they were planning on doing a digital event at E3 before they were canceled. Um, but like, other than that, I'm not sure like who it would benefit all that much. So I, I would expect a Nintendo Direct around June or something, maybe late May. But... Other than that, I wouldn't really have been expecting anything anyways. I've been like, yeah, maybe they'll do it. But uh, Bethesda being a big publisher saying, yeah, we're not doing that. I feel like that's going to be a thing because they've got enough to worry about. I feel like just developing games remotely has to be a major pain in the ass to focus on like doing a big showcase like E3 style. Like even a Nintendo Direct, I feel like would be a very difficult thing to put together remotely and and you you have to split your workforce to do that you know you have to take people away from developing games or something or divert money away from them at least or something to make that advertising happen and you know that's just a way that nintendo advertises anyway they've been doing nintendo directs for forever but not everybody does that to the same extent that nintendo does so I don't yeah know. It's also worth noting that Nintendo's stock price is doing just fine. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, um, it does help that they're, uh, you know, pushing out all their (coughs) switches and everything with Animal Crossing suddenly, because I didn't put it in an official news topic, but I guess we could talk about the, uh, there have been switch shortages uh, in a lot of countries worldwide. I'm not going to say, like, everywhere in the world. But, um, uh, like, I've seen people, like, going on, like, oh, I can't find them at my local stores, so I went online, they're sold out on Amazon, sold out on GameStop's online, uh, site, and they're looking at, like, eBay, and people are selling Switches for, like, 500 and up, and I'm like, dude, I thought we were done with that after launch, right? What the hell? (coughs) But, you know, people gotta play Animal Crossing. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's never been my style of game. I'm, like, not into that sort of game that much. And I'm like, 
If it doesn't I end, I never how do realized you end? Animal Crossing was that big. Yeah, it's like it's weird. A lot of people don't. It's like if you're kind of pay attention to numbers of game sales and stuff, you'll know that Animal Crossing is like uh, it's up there competing with Pokemon as one of the top selling Nintendo properties. Uh, and uh, apparently within the first week, it kind of blew away sales of Pokemon uh, individual. It's like Pokemon did better, but only because there's two versions is what it sounded like comparing uh, the new Animal Crossing with Pokemon Sword and Shield specifically for like the launch week. Uh, so it's it's doing really hot and I wouldn't, you know, people are projecting it to pass up Pokemon anytime. I'm not sure if that'll happen, but I wouldn't be totally surprised. Uh, I feel like it's making at least as much of a splash on Twitter. Maybe even it feels like more because it's literally the only thing people are tweeting about that's not fucking COVID. Maybe that helps. It was Animal Crossing, Doom, and the pandemic. Yeah, I'm and I'm surprised actually how much Doom is outweighed by Animal Crossing, at least in my kind of Twitter sphere and uh, <laughs> Facebook sphere. Like, every, everywhere I'm looking is, like, Animal Crossing, Animal Crossing, Animal Crossing. And every now and then I'll still see a Doom something. But uh, it's just, like, wow, I thought Doom was, you know, a really huge pro. Yeah, I mean, it is a huge property. It's doing pretty well from what I understand. Uh, but it's, like, it seems almost odd that you're getting this much more buzz about a Nintendo exclusive than you are about a, you know, three, four platform, uh, you know, multi-platform game that's theoretically got that wider audience theoretically but yeah you know <laughs> all right next piece of news and booze uh the last of us part two has been delayed indefinitely so it was gonna release at the end of may i believe um the original came out uh six or seven years ago um so it's kind of a lot of people have been waiting for this sequel for a long long time um so it's kind of crappy to see that it's delayed. Um, I don't know exactly all the reasoning behind that. Uh, I actually just got The Last of Us for my birthday last week. Uh, so that was cool. Thank you, wife. What? Last of Us. Oh. Yeah. The game that I won't, I won't play with. Yeah, my, wi my wife doesn't watch that game because it's scaly. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really great game, and I'm kind of sad that I'm, like, jumping on board this train so late, and then I was, like, almost worried that I'm, like, oh, am I going to beat it before the next one comes out? What if I really love it and I need the sequel? So I'm kind of, like, okay, now I can kind of take my time with it a little more, but at the same time, I'm, like, well, I am really liking it. Now I want the sequel sooner. So it's kind of worst of both worlds. But at the same time, I don't have it nearly as bad as people who have been, like, you know, probably talking about this game since it came out on PS3 and whatever uh, and have been waiting for this sequel for ages you know that must suck for them even more um, you probably haven't played that well you had a PS3 you might have played the first one probably not no it wasn't that appealed to me right yeah, it's a it's a certain kind of game. I don't know. It's it's like uh, I was talking to somebody about it, and like I don't remember exactly how it came up, but I was like, I haven't heard all that much about The Last of Us. 
Uh, so kind of what's it about? And like everybody in the Discord server um, over on uh, the two guys playing Zelda Discord server. Hey, shameless plug. Um, so everybody on the uh, that Discord server was just like, dude, you need to play The Last of Us. It's so good and it's on sale and all this. So I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna tell my wife. I'll <laughs> put a little note in her ear so that I get it for my birthday maybe. And, and then that worked out. So yeah. Um, really, really cool game, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it would be totally your style, because um, it's all stealth horror-ish uh, with a lot of act. It, it's it's kind of whatever you want to make it, really, because it can be an action game, it can be a stealth game. Uh, I feel like you kind of have to be good at every part of it, though, to really get forward, because like stealth will carry you a ways, but eventually, I feel like you always get found, and maybe that's just because I stuck at stealth games, but you know. That's yeah, pretty sweet. I'm not good at stealth games either. Yeah. So, so far it hasn't been too bad. There's been, like, a couple of really annoying segments uh, where I'm just, like, trying it over and over. But for the most part, it's been, like, uh, you know, I'll get through with, you know, maybe I'll have to retry once, you know. And then I'll be like, oh, okay, there's this guy over here that I need to pay attention to. And it... It kind of gives you all the mechanics to figure out where everybody is, which is kind of nice. Um, so most of the time, nothing totally surprises you. But when there's a lot of enemies at once, then sometimes it's hard to figure out, like, okay, do I take out that one first or the one that can one-shot me or what? So, Anyways, uh, so if you are interested in that, then good game. Uh, go check it out. You have plenty of time before the sequel drops. Um, uh, last video game piece of news here is, uh, the WHO has issued a message to stay inside and play video games to retain social interaction during quarantine. So, that's fucking great, right? I mean, isn't that what most I people mean, are doing anyway? I that's what I've been doing. Right, yeah, I'm like... Yeah. Like, if it wasn't for my kids, like, I would literally be doing nothing but that, probably. You know, I, I might go out a little more to, to the park and whatever, but I'm like afraid of my because my kids are like at the age where they're like a little bit spastic. So I don't want to take them to the park all the time to because, you know, they'll they'll run around. They'll, you know, well, they, be interested in something. They've so. shut down all of the parks. You can't go. Apparently you can't go to the parks anymore. So like huh. they've barricaded them. That kind of sucks. No, I know. I haven't been out of the house in like three days, so there you go. But I've been playing like slightly more trial-friendly games, which is okay, because I've been like replaying Wind Waker HD has been okay. Um, I was actually kind of really excited to start that back up again, and I'm playing Wind Waker with my kids. We got Spyro, they're playing that, and Mario Maker and stuff. So I'm having a kind of a good time playing some of these games that I wouldn't normally get as much time to. Uh, but then it's always interrupted by online school stuff lame but i mean it's good for him so i'll do it all right so into actually tabletop news that we have a few different points of here uh first one is not exactly tabletop but uh we had a podcast with crow a little while ago about uh whether or not card games count as tabletops and we decided yeah sure why the hell not um so magic the gathering is actually teaming up with, um, I think it's Toho Entertainment is the copyright holders for Godzilla. So they're basically making their regular set. It's kind of based on this thing. It's called uh, Ikoria Lair of Behemoths. 
So it's kind of this whole set dedicated to giant ass monsters. And they actually teamed up with uh, the people who hold the copyright for Godzilla. They're going to make 16 different Godzilla-related kaiju. Like Godzilla is one and Space Godzilla is one, for example, that are actually becoming magic cards as like alternate art forms of other monsters. So I'm just like, oh my god, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I have a like a whole deck that is dedicated to like giant dinosaurs and stuff. So this is right up my alley. I fucking love Godzilla. I am just so over the moon. I am gonna buy like all of them, maybe. Nope. Maybe not all of them. But I am totally into this Godzilla magic crossover. Godzilla as a magic card is like amazing. Um I like and- a bunch of them. Yeah, 16 different monsters, so I I can only imagine, I don't know what all of them are, I saw, the articles I saw said Godzilla and Space Godzilla, and uh, uh, one other that I'm trying to remember what it was, but I'm just imagining like Mothra and Rodan, King Ghidorah, I don't know what all will be in there, but like all of those as magic cards would be really cool. Um, So that releases uh, in uh, mid-April on Magic the Gathering Online which I don't play because I played for like a minute and it was like it does it's not intuitive enough to really capture the magic experience um and uh it comes out physically um in the middle of May sometime I'd have to look up the dates I should have looked that up but um either way it's freaking cool um so also I I think this is an interesting precedent to set cuz I don't think in the almost 30 years Magic the Gathering has been a card game that they've ever crossed over with another IP. Have they? Uh, the only crossover I've seen mm-hmm. is uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And that's going the other way. Yeah, because I've seen like uh, D&D, cam- I think they published like some D&D campaigns based off the Planeswalkers and stuff, didn't they? Yeah, and a setting book for Ravnica. Okay, yeah. So, it's like, okay, yeah, so they've kind of crossed over, but it's still kind of the same thing, because it's both owned by Wizards of the Coast. So it's like, not really a crossover. And it's like, okay, it's just a setting based on this. Like, you know, I don't know, it's like, it's it doesn't feel like the same thing as literally Godzilla is a fucking magic card. Right? <laughs> So, uh, where do you think they'll go? Do you think they'll continue this trend and team up with other, you know, different things that sound like they'd make cool magic cards? I think that's entirely up to the winds of chance. Yeah, it's 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 hard to predict these things because it's like maybe this is a one-off. Uh, you know, maybe because it sounds like uh, the uh, from the interview I read on the. I'm trying to remember what website I read this on. Now I feel stupid because I'm like, I want to cite all the sources, but I always forget them because I drink too much. Uh, play too many video games and get it, my mind all cloudy by the time the podcast happens. But yeah, it sounds like the guys who uh, were on the Godzilla side of things were just like, wait, you want to make Godzilla a magic card? Yeah, hell yeah. Let's do a bunch of them. <laughs> so, you know, you never know if that kind of thing will be as receptive. Uh, I feel like those kind of people are not usually as receptive. 
Like, uh, that, the, the only other example where that kind of thing happened on that scale was, like, when uh, the developers for Crypto the Necrodancer came to Nintendo and they were like, hey, can we have some, like, the rights to make a Legend of Zelda DLC for Crypto the Necrodancer? And Nintendo was like, hold on, wait a minute, this is amazing, make a whole new game. <laughs> and they were like, uh, okay. Which we, that was pretty cool. Yeah, but, like, other than that, you know, you see these kind of people that are, like, so itching to do this kind of stuff. Like, I've seen, like, Blizzard tweeted, like, oh, hey, Super Smash Brothers, you want all our Overwatch characters? You want uh, uh, all our World of Warcraft characters? Yeah, you can take them. Go ahead. And I'm just seeing Nintendo not even, like, give them a nod, I feel like. I'm like, okay, no, you're just reaching. It's it's they'll come to you if they think you're worth if you're that big into gaming, which I think maybe Blizzard actually may might be now, but I can't actually think of a great Smash Brothers character that they have. <clears throat> like I'm sure all the Overwatch characters would be fine, but like eh, I'm sure all the uh people from World of Warcraft would be fine, but eh. I feel like I'd be more excited for, you know, Terry Bogard. Which is weird, because I'm, like, the only person who is excited for Terry Bogard. Everybody else was like, Fatal Fury, what's that? King of, ah. King of Fighters? What? Makes me a little sad that uh, people don't know any games. Yeah, because um, I feel like SNK is, like, a classic, but that's, you know, relative to my childhood, and I feel like that's also abnormal as far as fighting games go in the United States. Because, like, everybody in the United States grew up on Street Fighter, and, like, most people I talk to are like, what's SNK? Like, they, they don't even know that these people made games. And I'm like, the King of Fighters, Fatal Fury? And they're like, oh, I've heard of one of those. I'm like, come on, man. Get your education. Um, another kind of not exactly uh, tabletop thing. Uh, Onward released today on Disney Plus, which uh, it's I I watched it with my kids, and it's it's a pretty fun little movie. Um, it's um. It's got a lot of kind of humor that I feel like would really appeal to people who like D&D and magic specifically, this kind of thing, um, as well as just kind of a good, like, you know, family-oriented story. So uh, uh, if that sounds at all interesting, then I definitely recommend giving it a watch. It's on Disney Plus now. Uh, but kind of the main reason I want to talk to about it is actually kind of to spur into one of my other uh, vices is I fucking love watching movies. Um, and like with movie theaters closed, I feel like this is really weird. I feel like Onward is going to go down as the worst ever box office from Pixar. And I feel like that's all just because coronavirus totally shut it down. But I have to say it is really well done. <clears throat> it is beautiful. It makes me nostalgic for when I played D&D. &D. All two times? Oh, shut up. I did it for like <laughs> one year in our relationship. Um, Chris was there. Chris was there. I was, I was there. I was not inimaginative, which is why I stopped doing it. Um, 
and it just has, you know, it. There's so many nuances of the show of the movie that makes you want to watch it again, like the fact that unicorns aren't like a mystical beast, but kind of like a rat. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just really good. Just a really good movie. But I agree, it's kind of a shame. Because it would have totally brought, you know, D&D even into the more mainstream. Yeah, which I feel like it's almost becoming more mainstream every day. uh, With the popularity of 5th edition specifically. Yeah, well and also I think, um, you know what helped that was... um, Stranger Things helped that a lot. Yeah. Uh, these kinds of media really kind of get into you, and then you're just kind of like, oh, maybe I am interested in that. Or you maybe know. that isn't that the weirdest thing. Or, <laughs> you know, maybe I shouldn't make fun of these people that are playing this at, you know, the mm-hmm. table in the middle of the break room at work or <laughs> right. or at lunch <laughs> at school. Mm-hmm. Which is what you guys did every day. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it 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 really helped nerd dumb. And it it's really funny. So our eldest was very adamant that he did not want to watch this movie. He was like, No, mom, it's weird, it's weird, it's weird, no. And then like five minutes into the movie he was like, Mom, what's going to happen? Mom, Mom, what's going to happen? What did you... I'm like... And so, it's crazy how, you know, it, it really... Yeah, if you got kids, this is absolutely something to watch with them. Yeah. It's good. Definitely good. April out again. I need so to So, I, uh, I'm... I'm looking it up on TV Tropes, and I misunderstood it as being the 22nd... CGI animated feature made by Pixar. Uh huh. And I was like, wow, it must be really good for lasting 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, have they really made 22? Are they counting short films? Yes. I guess, yeah. Probably, huh? I guess, I guess I was thinking they were only 22 years old, but now I'm like, nope, hold on, 1990 was 30 years ago. Fuck. We're old now. <laughs> so. Um, although I think, because their first film was Toy Story in 95-ish. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, go on Pixar. Um, but yeah, just, I I feel like this is a thing to support, because I love movies, and I feel like the movie industry is going to take a really big hit from this. Specifically, local theaters are going to be hit really hard, because theaters make, like, dick off of ticket sales uh like all they make is like um concessions and and some merchandising they're even trying to do now so um i'm just wondering exactly how that'll go um everywhere is hit hard yep except my work so chris do you want to bring up these last two yeah, so the Sea of Stars is a game that's currently in Kickstarter uh, that looks like a love letter to Chrono Trigger. 
Okay. Um, uh, is that like a so? Is that a video game? Yeah, it's a uh, traditional JRPG, uh, but it has the time hits mechanic. Okay. It has the no random encounters uh, thing that Chrono Trigger had going on. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'd be totally on board with that. It's got like combo attacks and stuff. Because that was one of my favorite uh, things looks like that it. I thought really made Chrono Trigger stand out compared to other JRPGs of the time. Is it's like you've got your three party members and they're not just doing their own shit. They can work together and every combination of the party you make makes you unlock additional techniques you can do. And I thought that was so. Just it so looks like cool. there's only two party members. Period. Okay. But they're just the main characters of the game. Okay. Hmm. That, that could be interesting too, though. All right. Um. So yeah, check them out on Kickstarter. That's Sea of Stars. Um. Yes. And last uh, news and booze topic. If you want to go for it, Chris. Uh. To Bannerlord is now officially out of early access. It's had a lot of reports of bugs, uh, but they've released four patches in five days. Uh, they're fixing it, and I'm having a hell of a lot of fun with it. All right, cool. Um, yeah, <clears throat> um, I've heard of it. Uh, you've been kind of plugging it <laughs> fairly often, so uh, sounds kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, go check that out. So this is a game that brought down the Steam servers when it came out. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, it was uh, everyone downloading it at once actually crashed Steam. Wow. Big service like that—that's got to be hard. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. All right. Shall we get into our table topic? Yes. All right. So, um, I was kind of thinking about this um, technology in campaign worlds and how to manage it. Because um, I, I started this question uh, on Twitter, and it surprisingly blew up with a lot of different responses. Um, not this question specifically, but specifically what I said was, um, how does everybody feel about guns and firearms in D&D, &D. and there was a surprising amount of, like, no, no guns ever, and there was a surprising amount of, like, oh, man, you gotta limit them, and I'm just, like, the kind of DM that I'm just, like, you know what, whatever you want to do, if it sounds cool, I'm gonna find a way to make it work, right? Um, even if I, if I have to limit it to power balance or something, then, you know, I'll, I might do that, you know. I'm not just going to take all of your homebrew gun rules or something and be like, oh, yeah, you can have a, a automatic uh, M249, 100-bullet clip. Uh, you know, you can shoot 15 times around for 10d6 each. Yeah, go ahead, level one guy. Sure made Shadowrun interesting. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, that kind of got me thinking because you said you had multiple opinions on this. Um, and that kind of got me thinking about uh, technology in general and uh, its place in campaigns and D&D, &D, uh, spe specifically D&D-like 
uh, campaigns? Because obviously, like, if you're doing, like, a super futuristic superhero thing, then, yes, there's fucking technology, right? We're in space. It's fine. You know, if you're doing a Star Wars campaign, it's fine. But, like, in a, in a medieval fantasy setting, uh, I feel like technology is often used, even if it's not specifically presented as technology. And... Uh, I feel like that's kind of overlooked, and for the reason that that's overlooked, I'm just like, why the hell can't they have, like, uh, rudimentary firearms and stuff like that? Uh, so what do you think about just technology in general for a uh, uh, medieval fantasy setting? So technology is a big category. Uh-huh. So I would start with guns right, and kind of move on. Okay. So, my opinion is it depends on what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Because the argument against guns is that when guns came on the scene, a lot of things like, say, plate armor became ineffective. They rendered castles obsolete. Uh-huh. They, uh... They, they completely changed warfare. Right. But what I'll say is that in D&D, the weapons and armor that get used are equally unrealistic. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be using a shield in real life in a time when you have plate armor. Yeah. Uh, that was that was from several centuries earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to use a sword against someone who's wearing heavy armor because it's not going to hurt them. Right. So the argument doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. You're... <clears throat> You could treat guns as just another ranged weapon, mm-hmm. and the gameplay would be just the same. Right. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of these kind of liberties are kind of taken anyways with character creation. Like, uh, you know, when you get to be a high-level monk or something, you know, you can... Uh, like, just spend three rounds concentrating a target and then kill it instantly, no save. You know, is that any more absurd? Or is that any less absurd than one guy randomly knowing how to use firearms pretty well? Uh, you know, I, I don't think it is. You know, I feel like this is all a fantasy. This is all fictitious. It It doesn't have to have hard set rules like oh, well, it's in this time period, well, we don't, we can't have guns or cannons or stuff. And it's like, well, in those time periods in different parts of the world, they had guns and cannons and stuff. Or in those time periods in certain parts of the world, you know, they didn't have stuff that is D&D, like you said, you know. Uh, So it's like, no matter what you do, I feel like you're never making a historically accurate campaign. And I don't feel like historical accuracy is the point of tabletop gaming. And Absolutely. I feel like I completely agree with you. And I feel like if if that's exactly what you want to do, then 
I feel like there's certainly a demographic that probably like researches this stuff and allows and disallows specific things based on what was realistically available to that portion of the world at that point in time. That's fine, okay? If that's what your campaign is going for, absolutely. Go ahead and do that. But don't just like I feel like that's not what they say though. I feel like they say, "Oh, well, it's a medieval campaign, so there's no guns. There's no uh, you know, steampunk stuff. There's there's no technology. There's no laser swords." I'm like, "Who the fuck cares?" So the, the only reason to exclude guns that makes sense is an aesthetic reason. Uh-huh. Unless you want to be like Okay, guns do exist in this game, but they're rare and they're really powerful. And that's like emphasizing something else. Yeah. Uh, it's a really interesting topic realistically, but nobody approaches it realistically. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of divert that uh, and kind of springboard into the topic of slightly more advanced technology, which I feel like creeps its way into D&D all the time and nobody acknowledges it. Like, uh, traps... Are, are a form of technology, I feel like, and in some cases, like, fairly sophisticated that, like, there's there's almost no way in a realistic setting like this that you'd be able to fabricate traps or mechanical devices that open doors or whatever, you know. When you step on a plate, it shoots, like, a billion arrows. Like, yeah, maybe you could have made that with rudimentary technology, but... Would it have worked accurately all the time, or would it have worked one and done? Lasted five hundred years. Right. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's like, oh yeah, we're investigating this ancient temple, and there's corpses of people who have sprung all the traps. Okay. Doesn't that mean that all the traps have been sprung, and now we can just go through the dungeon to the end without fear of the traps? Um. Yeah. And and like stuff that's even you know more kind of kooky than that when you're getting into different kinds of dungeon design um when you're like okay uh i, I designed a, a dungeon once that was kind of like a giant rubik's cube um and admittedly it was like partially supposed to be like uh it was specifically for a legend of zelda themed campaign so i was kind of trying to push it in that legend of zelda e direction uh, and make it all puzzle-based and stuff like that. But at the same time, I feel like moving the floors of the dungeon is not an unheard-of thing. Or move changing the rooms in some way, in some fairly massive, not technologically capable way, you know, it, it, within this kind of thing. It's like, okay, so then what, do you just hand-wave it as magic or what? Then why can't you just hand-wave guns as magic? Ooh, I, I used a prophecy uh, spell, and uh, Paylor told me how to make guns because he saw the future. Oh, shit. I used fire wands. So they have a little clicky bit, and then you load them up with these metal bits. Right. And they shoot the metal, or keep them at 
and then they go through people. Right? It's the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so what do you think about those kind of things? Um, do you think they should be necessarily disallowed or de-emphasized depending on the setting of the campaign? Or do you think, uh, what the fuck ever, who cares? I think that's a call for the group and the DM. That's fair, yeah. Uh, I feel like a lot of these kind of things so- just go back to that anyway, but go ahead. But, yeah, I don't want to give that as, like, a cop-out answer to stop discussion. Right, yeah. I think there's invalid reasons to choose that. I think a DM who says this isn't realistic is not thinking about the hundreds of other things that are unrealistic. Yeah. Not being realistic is not a good reason to disallow something from a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, one of the biggest draws to me for video games and tabletops is that it's unrealistic. Like, if I wanted to do realistic stuff, why wouldn't I just, like, you know, go do it? That's one of the reasons I never play sports video games. It's like, if I wanted to play football, i go to the fucking thrift store, buy a football for four bucks. Right? Why would I spend 60 bucks every year on Madden? And, you know, not to discredit anybody that likes Madden or whatever, it's, whatever, it's fine. Uh, I've had some fun with sports games, it's fine, but they're not really my thing because of this, you know. Uh, But then, you know, I get sports games like NFL Blitz, and it's like, okay, now I can be like a giant tank robot and just throw 12 guys off of my arm at once and shoot lasers at people and dumb shit like that. It's like, this is the kind of sports game I want. It's like when when I'm playing racing games, I like very seldom tend towards like the realistic style games i'm like i don't want that i want stuff where i'm doing flips and shit and driving on walls and you know using rocket engines you know my favorite racing game to this day is kirby's fucking air ride because it is just wacky nonsense the entire fucking time kirby's air ride is pretty good yeah (laughs) so like, why would you go out of your way to disallow this weird fantasy shit in a weird fantasy game, right? Isn't that the point of tabletops in general? So, for guns in particular, the reason to disallow something like this, the only, the, I think the only good reasons are either you want to evil aesthetic or you want to emphasize guns as devastatingly powerful. Yeah. For guns specifically. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm also thinking, what about cell phones? Uh Uh-huh. 
Yeah, that's a kind of a funny thing because I don't know how many parties I've had that are like at different parts of the dungeon, and they basically have like they don't literally have cell phones because it's it's a high fantasy thing. They're in a medievalish time, but they're still using magic to be like, oh, I just telepathically tell the other part of the party this, and they respond back. We've all got like hive mind or or sending or some shit that lets you do the same thing. It's like, okay, what's the difference between that and a cell phone? <laughs> Yeah. But I also think there's a lot of technological solutions that we have now that allow you to that make it hard to design fun adventures. Uh-huh. Uh, but a lot of those things are replicated by spells anyway. Or yeah. magic items. Yeah, because that's one of the things, because, like, you could say, oh, cell phones totally disrupt the campaign if you just gave everybody cell phones and they could communicate all the time. Well, it's like, once they're past a certain level, you've got one mage in the party, they're good anyway. You know, he casts one spell and the rest of them can telepathically communicate for the rest of the day. <clears throat> you know, uh, I feel like that's just a challenge of higher level D&D specifically, and I've, I feel like most of this kind of mechanic is probably commonplace in other uh, systems as well. And so I'm like, why is that much different? Um, uh, because cause you call it technology, but it you can replicate the same thing with magic. And that's another thing that we could say for the guns too, is like, how realistic are guns? I don't know, how realistic is a goddamn fireball? <laughs> right? It's like, okay, I can't have a gun, but this guy can do a fucking 30-foot wide circle of flaming death. I, I just so want to shoot I'm one guy for here. a quarter of the damage, right? Go ahead. Yeah. So I'm going to play devil's advocate, and that magic has kind of a free pass for existing. Right. When certain technological things don't. Right. Like, in most D&D games, even if you're like, oh yeah, flintlock pistols or whatever, uh -huh. you can't browse the internet. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, bullets maybe not available in every town or something. And depending on your campaign world, that could actually add really... A lot of interesting dynamics to, um, like, uh, a, a gun wielding... That's that's kind of where I'm coming from, though, is, like, if you're a gun wielder in a there-are-no-guns-anywhere, you're the guy that invented guns, maybe, you know, then you got to pay attention, you know. You, uh, that's one of these places where I might actually be like, okay, a little bit of micromanaging might be really, really cool here. Where, okay, the gun user is the only person for miles around who knows how to make bullets, who knows how to make gunpowder, so he's got to go out of his way occasionally, you know, maybe sometimes some of his supplies that he needs to craft it are in the store, it, just at your general shop, you could find flint and steel, sure, you might be able to find uh, some of the other stuff. Uh, but, you know, sometimes he might have to go, like, on an extra adventure to mine stuff so that he has bullets for the next, you know, quote-unquote real adventure where they're actually going to the main quest or something. I feel like that could add, like, so much to the campaign in certain situations if it was handled right by the player in the DM. Yeah. 
you're the only person in the world who knows how to make explosive bullets. But you only can find enough material in the region to make three of them. Yeah. Uh, you're going to really ration those out. Mm hmm And then... And but then again, the like, if you really want to do this, then, like, why not do this kind of like magic? You could... I feel like you could... You could shoehorn in a way to make it comfortable for the players and the DM at the same time, right? Like, you have so much theoretical material to make three uh, bullets, right? Let's say, why don't we just limit that to, okay, you have three bullets a day, just like your first level mage will probably have two or three spells a day, right? So your guns are now about on par with magic and similarly limited. You have to spend a certain amount of time every day at the start of the morning crafting your bullets, plus you have to re find your quote-unquote material components for the, for the crafting. You know, you just use your material components instead of as you're casting the spell, you use them at the start of the day when you're preparing your uh, spell, bullet, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. So it's like... You could balance this any number of ways, and then the player has more fun with their character. The character is probably going to have a more unique interactions with the world and with the other PCs. Why the fuck not? So there's no valid, strict game design reason to prohibit... A uh, lot of technologies. Yeah. Since there's usually a magical workaround anyway. Uh-huh. There's good world-building reasons for doing that. Sure, yeah. There's good... ...aesthetic uh, reasons. Yeah, but it's... But no one wants... Go ahead. ...to talk about how slingers are have a faster rate of fire than archers in real life right <laughs> but that's something that I've always kind of because I always like when I do guns in my campaign I usually make like rudimentary gun rules so they do something like double damage compared to a bow but they do like you you have to take twice as long to reload them and, you know, it's like, okay, so statistically, it's just the same as a bow, right? Ish. And and just I call that good most swings. of the time. Yeah, it's like, okay, I have a great sword instead of the rogue who has two short swords. Uh, you know, okay, I'm cool with that. Um, and that's usually just how I handle them. Um, do you have a specific way of handling them power-wise? So, in my current game, uh, all people carry a light. Mm. Uh, guns are just treated as generic ranged weapons. Mm -hmm. Because guns are the default of that world. Okay. However, there are people who still use things like bows and crossbows. Okay. Or thrown daggers or whatever. Yeah. And the assumption is that they're just as effective with those because they, they're they better trained with them. Uh-huh. And then the training isn't covered in the rules at all. 
Right. So yeah, um, what do you think about, um, I feel like some campaigns are like, kind of get a light, like steampunk kind of thing kind of going on sometimes. And it's sometimes it's like, okay, full on, we're having a steampunk campaign. That's that's different. I feel like sometimes you're just going in a campaign and like a dungeon is themed around this somehow or, okay, there's a train here. Sure, why not? Um, uh, what do you think about that kind of thing where it's like little incorporations of steampunk kind of things um, or, or even just like uh, Warforged in, in non- Eberron settings, where it's like, okay, it's not really a steampunk thing, but there's random steampunk things here and there. I not only think that's fine, I think a lot of that stuff goes back to the sword and sorcery roots of D&D. Uh -huh. Like, seeing a wizard and seeing him pull out a ray gun and disintegrate the fighter. <laughs> right. Being like, I got this from a Martian. <laughs> or whatever. Nice. Yeah, with that kind of thing, I'm again, I'm just kind of like, okay, sure, if it if it adds to the way that you're telling the story or the way that you're building the world, then yeah, fucking go for it. Uh, if you want to play a Warforged in any of my campaigns, I'm like, whatever, they're not that busted. Sure, you uh, you know, even if it's like not something that's like normal in my game world i'm like whatever you came across the sea from some other fucking continent I, you know my game worlds are like i try to make them big enough to be interesting and explorable but like i don't make a full world scale world right i mean it could be if i wanted to put that much detail into it but i don't want to put that much detail in like i put detail into it enough to you want to like, run a game not build a world yeah that's that's exactly my thing i'm like I build a world big enough to encompass my game and but it's like it's like Lord of the Rings, right? Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit all take place in Middle-earth. But there are so many other fucking continents and different things happening in Tolkien's world. Like after the elves go across the sea and all that, they're going to a totally different place. The dragons came from someplace else. There's all these different things that are never even mentioned, right? So like, why can't they exist? And who's to say specifically that they're not like, okay, maybe they have a higher technology level. Maybe, you know, the whole Star Trek thing where it's like, okay, uh... Uh, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? Yeah. Put it in like that. And now to completely contradict everything I've said, Son of a uh, and talk about my engagement with dirty world building, uh, the economic system of my current game is based on a bushel of wheat hmm. or a bushel of barley or, or whatever. That's mm -hmm. roughly the equivalent of a silver piece. And because it's a feudal system, the entire world expects you to be part of that system. Uh -huh. uh, uh, so modern monetary ideas aren't there which is a form of technology yeah 
I think that's it's, actually a pretty cool thing because um, that's one of the things that I've uh, I've thought about that once or twice, but never really incorporated it in any of my campaigns. Is like not necessarily having like a set like okay, here's uh, gold and silver and everything, but actually having more of a barter kind of system. I think that would be really cool, actually. Um, so I've considered that like once or twice and then never gone anywhere past considering it. I've, n- I've never even taken it to the drawing board, but I feel like that could be really, really cool, especially if you go into like a, a you know, a poorer town and it's like, okay, the shopkeeper has like 10 silver that he can buy with at the pawn shop. He, you can't just sell all your shit, but maybe you can trade it for more useful shit, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's a really cool system. People have a limited amount of money. Yeah. And then you, there's, it's not like there's a central banking system. Right. You can't just hold on to your money and make it be something random. Right, yeah. It's like you when you like get into it. those epic level characters and you're just like every character sheet is like, oh, yeah, I've just got, you know, 75,000 gold pieces on my character sheet. What, are you fucking carrying that in your pocket? You got a big fucking pocket, don't you? <laughs> No, I don't have any change. Where would I keep it? In my diaper? Random Family Guy <laughs> reference for you there. Uh, speaking of uh, random, uh, I'm going to talk about my second beer of the week today. So uh, I've got literally no idea what this is. It is from Lagunitas Brewing Company. I could tell that by the bottle cap, but the label, i it doesn't look like there was ever a label there. So I've got no clue what this is, but it's from Lagunitas, which I know pretty well. They're they're pretty big here in Colorado for their IPA and uh, for uh, a couple of other beers, mostly uh, kind of of the hoppy variety. I've had something, a couple of things by them on the podcast before. But um, this, I'm really not sure. I was like, maybe I'll drink it and it'll just take like the IPA. But I'm just like, no, actually, it's like light. It's... Like, hoppy enough to kind of get your mouth watery a little bit if you're talking too much, which I am. Uh, But it's also balanced pretty well with a fairly malt-forward flavor. Um, Just going to let you know that you've cut out on my end for about 15, 20 seconds here. I didn't mean to do that. Can you hear me now? Okay. Well, I'm going to disconnect and reconnect. But while I am doing that... I am going to talk about this beer because this beer is actually pretty good. I am just fine with this beer. Um, can you hear me now there, Chris? Yes. Okay, so uh, yeah, this this beer is pretty good. Uh, so what I was saying is it's uh, pretty well balanced and a lot lighter than anything I've had from them, I feel like. Um, like it's in a dark bottle and I can still like see through it almost. Um, like I, um, so yeah, and it's, it's pretty good flavor. It's malt forward. It's, but it's, it's hoppy enough to like keep your mouth a little watery. If, um, as as a funny thing that I noticed that particularly because I talk a lot and because I'm a musician and, uh, when you're drinking a super hoppy beer, like an IPA or something, it makes your mouth water a lot. And when you're singing and your mouth is watering, it's fucking horrible. <laughs> so I really avoid IPAs when I'm on stage um, or, or at a pub or something being paid to perform. Um, 
just a random kind of thing there. But since I've been talking a lot, I'm kind of like, oh, no, nah, you know, because I've been actually sipping on it for a little bit since I finished my uh, doohickey there. Uh, whatever the fuck that was. Red shit. Singapore sling. Um, yeah, but that's actually not too bad. Um, so I'm going to give that a, I'm going to give that a 13. And that's, and that's a fine beer. Sounds decent. Yeah. Um, so is there anything specific you want to mention else on uh, technology in campaign worlds um, and how to manage it? Uh, I think I've talked myself out. All right. Technology well, is many things. Yeah, it's like that's that's kind of I feel like what we kind of got to is it's like, yeah, it, OK, if you if you really are adamant about this, like definitely like you're the DM, like go for it. Like say there's no guns in your world. That's fine. But like. I don't feel like you should just, uh, like, I, I feel like there's not an objective reason to just ban all guns all the time and and uh, other technology for that same token. I would be really interested in seeing who's saying you shouldn't allow guns or you should restrict guns and understanding what their reasoning is. Yeah, it was a few weeks ago that I tweeted that, so you can look back on my Twitter, but it, you, you might have to scroll back for a while, because I tweet a lot of inane bullshit. And shameless podcast plugs. Um, so our video game topic for today is uh, games with technology inexplicably more advanced than the setting. Because uh, when I was kind of thinking about this, I was thinking... Like, video games do this way worse than D&D, &D, and, like, most of the time, nobody gives a fuck, right? Like, I have put 250 hours into Breath of the Wild, and compared to a lot of people, that's, like, fucking nothing. <laughs> so, like... And, and But nobody talks about this, right? Nobody talks about, oh, where did this, like, absolutely butt-fucking-incredible technology come from that was, like, not... It's, it's not just, like, there's ridiculously awesome tech there. There's ridiculously awesome tech there that's supposedly ancient in the context of, of Zelda. And it, it, it did this in Skyward Sword, too, where it's like, oh, there's these ancient robots. And you're like, well, how are robots ancient? This is the first fucking game in the series. It's an interesting thing. Because I don't know that we have any serious technological or technologically advanced civilizations that vanished and then had people unable to reverse engineer their technology eventually. Yeah. With maybe a few exceptions. Yeah. I think it was like Roman roads. We didn't understand how those were put together until very recently. Right. But that's the only half-remembered example yeah, that but, comes to mind But that's not quite like, oh, there are literally thousands of robots underneath our feet capable of walking, shooting lasers, thinking, being programmed to kill specific things, being programmed to do specific tasks at the behest of the user, uh, as well as four gargantuan fucking... Uh, 
like kaiju sized robots capable of shooting Ganon in the fucking face for a quarter of his hit points. <laughs> you know? I'm and 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 again, also technology like almost TARDIS level technology to compress a shrine into the ground somehow that like you've got this giant fucking maze right before you that you that all you see on the surface is a fucking cone. Fucking 20 foot tall cone. That's all there is on the surface. And somehow you go inside it and it's like, what? And and not only that, actually, I was going to do a theory article uh, one time. I kind of thought of it, but there was like, I feel like it would be, have been like a theory blurb rather than a theory article. There wasn't enough really information to do this. But basically, I was thinking like the Sheikahs had more tech, more advanced technology than most races in Star Trek. Right, because the Sheikahs could create a controllable magnetic field that could manipulate almost any metal object in the world, and they could distill the program to copy this formula into one drop of water. One drop of some form of liquid. Yeah, some form of liquid. So they're super advanced. Yeah, and it, it fucking what falls into your iPad, and now you're a fucking magnet genius fucking mage guy. Or or uh, or uh, the other one, you know, you distill this one drop of liquid, it drops into your iPad, and now you can create infinite fucking bombs. So I think... The issue with these games, not that it's like a real issue, uh-huh. is that we just don't have a lot of examples of civilizations falling backwards in technology uh-huh. and then not remembering how to recover that. Yeah. Um... So kind of uh, what just what do you think about this incorporation in general? Like is it is it usually fun? Is it usually engaging for you as a game player in these kinds of games? Oh, it's usually a shitload of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in like a game mm. because it has a nice explanation, nice convenient explanation for why all this weird shit is laying around. Uh-huh. And it tends to be able to tie things together neatly. And if they really do it well, you can figure things out based on how they fell and what the technology is mm. before the game tells you. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, that's one of the things that I feel like Breath of the Wild does really, really well, is it kind of tells you about these things. It, 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 it never directly tells you about these things. Like, everything in Breath of the Wild almost has to be inferred just by, like, exploring, finding a thing, a destroyed shack or something, and the Guardian's next to it, and skeletons over somewhere, and, you know, some random dude's diary, and, and stuff like that. It's like, the game never really tells you all of what happens. Uh, but all of what happens is there if you seek to explore it. Yeah. 
Um, uh, what do you think about like Skyrim's kind of level of technology? Where Skyrim, it's like you don't think of it as technology. It's again one of those kind of things like in D and D, where it's like, oh, there's an arrow trap here, but it inexplicably has like infinitely reloading ammo every time I step over this same stone. Um, and, you know, stuff like, oh, there's this door puzzle where I have to match three runes on this, uh, interlocking, uh, doohickey in order to open a door across the room. It's like, these kinds of technology, while it's like, okay, yeah, it's fine, it's a cool fantasy setting, you, you know, you just pass it off. But those kinds of technology are completely impractical. In, impractical in the settings of Skyrim. Why does it get a pass, uh, but it, it it doesn't as much in, like, a tabletop game? For things like the arrow trap? Uh-huh. The infinitely reloading arrow trap? I'm just... I take it as a conceit of the game. Yeah. I don't think about it too much more. I'm like, yeah, of course it's unrealistic. Yeah. Uh, I'll give it suspension like of disbelief. The claw door. Uh, I'm thinking of those videos that have been going around of people opening those antique saves. Hmm. And I'm thinking, well, this particular thing could not continue functioning at this level in real life. Uh, something like one of those saves definitely could. Mm. Yeah, so that's kind of fair, I suppose. Um, but again, why does it get a pass in video games where it doesn't in tabletops? That's, well, let's kind of relate this back to our first topic. Uh, for, for not just Skyrim, but like, like anything, like Breath of the Wild, like whatever. Like, Breath of the Wild has fucking lightsabers. I think people approach tabletop RPGs with a different mindset than they approach video games. Mm -hmm. With any video game, you expect there to be a certain amount of, like, disconnect. Uh, where you're interfering with, like, a system, with, like, a game system. Uh-huh. Instead of a world. Mm-hmm. But when a DM is running a world, uh, it's almost like they expect that world to be realistic somehow because they can take almost any action in that world right? where they can't in a game, mm. in a video game. That, that I can kind of see because it's like, okay... Uh you know, there's, you know, whoever, whatever developer develops the game, you know, they, they get their say. But in a D&D &D game, this is my say as the DM, you know. I, I can kind of understand that mentality to an extent. So yeah. uh, that, that's actually a really good answer there. Because um, I feel like just generally there's a, a want from GMs to kind of tell their story the way that they want and uh, sometimes I feel like that's difficult because players very seldom go the way that you expect. Uh, 
So and I, if you're in the game to tell a story, then you shouldn't be running a game. Uh huh. But if you're in the game to let the players play through their story and make their outcomes, uh, make their own choices. Yeah. Then that's good. That's kind of where I am, because I feel like storytelling as a GM is uh, something you need to be able to do, but you can't just tell a story. You're not an author. You're a, you're a GM, right? There, there's you're a, a facilitator. Yeah, there's a big difference. And the story is yours as much as it is the players, certainly, because you're providing the world, you're providing the antagonists, you're providing the NPCs, whatever, sure. But... At the end of the day, the story is at least as much the player's story as it is the GM's, if not more the player's story. And if you, if your intention is to tell your story, then I feel like being a player would be a better idea. Because then you get to tell the story of that character. You get to create, you know, all the backstory that goes into this character. You get to tell... This is what I do. This is how I influence the world. If you're wanting to tell your story as the GM, then why are you not an author? Why are you not just writing a book? Right? Yes. Uh, you're saying... You're saying exactly the right things. Yeah. Uh, kind of expounding on the point that you kind of put out there. Yeah. Um... Yeah, is there any other games uh, that you feel like have technology that is more advanced than the world that they... Because those were kind of the big examples that I had, where obviously uh, Breath of the Wild and Skyward Sword are like really big into it, where it's like, oh my god, there's fucking robots. But uh, then Skyrim is, I feel like, a good example of like the average, here's some unbelievable technology in a video game that gets a pass. I feel like that's kind of the more commonplace level of technology. Uh, is there any other specific games you want to kind of shout out there? Now I'm thinking of uh, the dwarf equivalent. I'm trying to remember their name. The Dwemer? Yeah. Uh, I think in Marlin, the Dwemer were actually occasionally called dwarves even. Yeah. But they had the advanced steampunk technology. Yeah. Until all of them, except that one guy, all vanished. I came and I killed him. I put an end to the and race. None, I'm a dick. Yeah, none of the rest <laughs> of the world has their technology, though. None of them have started producing their own, even after hundreds of years. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how is that realistic? Mm -hmm. Were they so insular that they never traded technology with any other civilization, that they have no other contact with other civilizations? I mean, depending on the mythology of dwarves, like, if, if you look at, like, Tolkien's dwarves, I could totally see that. If the Tolkien dwarves, like, got up to that level of technology, they would totally never share it with fucking anybody. So, maybe. Yeah. And I know... Dwarf Fortress, uh, the dwarves there have the ability to 
smelt more advanced metals. Uh-huh. But that's kind of a different thing. Yeah. It's like we can smelt steel, the humans still smelt bronze. Uh-huh. But the humans are going to figure out steel eventually. Right. You're just a step I'm ahead thinking on that front. If the Dwemer haven't existed for hundreds of years, why hasn't another civilization rated their technology? Figured That's kind out of a good point, works. actually, because in Morrowind, there was a lot of, like, Dwemer ruins and stuff that it's like, there are still functioning contraptions in here, there are still functioning robots in here that'll, like, yeah, you know, the Dwemer sentries and stuff that would, uh, you know, guard around and then try and kill you, and the, the little Dwemer clockwork spiders, it's like, they had so much clockwork shit in that game that it's like, how does that get a pass? <laughs> But yeah, again, it's, and it's all still functioning. Yeah, because it's like there's one of these guys left. He can't be upkeeping it, so it it must be self upkeeping technology. Like, do these robots not need an oil change in the last two hundred fucking years? There's <laughs> no way. At least some groups didn't raid those places. Yeah, it's like I just go into those places. Like those are my favorite places in Morrowind to explore. It's like. Uh, either the Daedric ruins or the Dwemer ruins, particularly the Dwemer ruins, because I just like have this fascination with weird clockwork shit for some reason. But like, you go into those, and they're so much fun to explore. Uh, the the enemies are cool. You find the coolest items. Like you know, you're you're finding random, it, and it's all random shit. It's like an old Dwemer coin. It's like a, a fucking cog, right? It's a, a like a, a metal mug. Okay, nobody else has metal mugs in the world, right? All the rest of them are made out of wood, <laughs> like almost yeah. unanimously. I'm like, dude, I, I'm, I'm fucking on board with these guys, you know? They have the coolest looking swords. They're like crap compared to the Daedric swords and, and several of the other swords in the game. But they're the coolest looking weapons. They have, like, their fucking armor looks like a fucking Gundam. I'm like, I don't care if it's medium armor. I'm fucking wearing that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. They have really cool ruins. But they do have that inexplicable technology thing. Yeah. I did just think of another game series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that actually has a pretty good explanation. Okay. Uh, and it's not one I've played. Mm -hmm. I don't think you've played it either. So, uh, forgive any, you know, misrepresentation. Right. Stalker. Uh, Excuse me. Thank you. Um, Stalker. Stalker. I'm not sure I've heard of that one. I might have. Uh. So, the idea is... I'm not sure if this is the idea behind the game or behind the book that Stalker was based off of. Uh-huh. But it's that aliens showed up on Earth, left mm-hmm. a bunch of their garbage laying around, and then just went off somewhere. Huh. And we never met these aliens. The only reason we know they visited is because they left technology... In- so advanced behind uh-huh. that it's just hazardous to be around. 
but it's their just their fucking trash. Basically, that's a really cool concept. I fucking love it. So it's like you can walk into the area that they left their trash behind in, uh, and you walk into one area, and gravity like distorts your body. Mm-hmm. Or, like, something causes all of the water inside your cells to expand 20%, and you just die instantly. <laughs> wow. I'm like, no wonder people don't understand this. Yeah. How could you? Right? Yeah, uh, so it's it's a funny thing because like this sort of thing happens all the time but like i think that's the first time i've ever heard it explained in a non dm hand wavy sort of way because like in breath of the wild it's just like oh yeah it's ancient nobody's around who knows how to work it Uh, yeah yeah scientists are working on it but they don't fucking know (laughs) right which is, which is weird, like, too, because there's, like, these Sheikah monks that are just living in the shrines, and they're just not, like, telling people how to use this shit. Like, like why don't they come out of the shrines and just, like, deactivate the robots? You would think the inventors, the progenitors of these technological marvels that are now taking over the world would know how to turn them off, wouldn't you? Yeah. But the Sheikahs are a kind of a weird thing, too, because it's, like... They're all, like, I, I, I almost take them as kind of this, like, passive entity that's just, like, we are here, we made this technology, we'll give you the power to disable it by giving you spirit orbs for wacky-ass challenges. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, like, this is totally the kind of thing I expect from a weird neutral god in D&D or something, right? Where it's just like, I am the neutral god. I created all this chaos accidentally. It's not my fault, and I'm not going to fix it. (laughs) Yeah, so it's not... It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. It would make more sense if the Highlands were just alone. And then they were like, oh yeah, in a few years we figured out how to take control over these things. Uh Uh-huh. Because... That seems like the kind of thing they would start making progress on. Mm-hmm. So what do you think and about... they only had... Go ahead. A hundred years after uh, Calamity Ganon to start working on it. I'm like, that's a much more reasonable time frame when all of that technology is actively trying to kill you. Yeah. So I'm going to reverse this question real quick because I just thought of a funny example of exactly the opposite. What do you think of, like, lower-level technology inexplicably being existent in sci-fi campaigns? Or or not campaigns, but, like, games? Specifically, I'm thinking of, like, the fact that, like, everybody randomly uses a sword in Knights of the Old Republic, even though people have fucking lightsabers and blasters. They use, like, a metal sword? Yeah, in Knights of the Old Republic, they use, like, regular swords. And they're not, like, Mandalorian steel or something? Like, some of them are. But, like, most of them are just like, okay, here's here's a fucking katana. 
I, I got like some of them are like okay, it's like a slightly laser enhanced thing. Like when you get further into the game before you get your lightsaber, you're getting like vibroblades and stuff. But like you start the game, you're getting like swords and double bladed swords that are like Darth Maul style, but it's a sword. And like you're just using swords for like a fair part of the game. But there's like fucking lasers. <laughs> And then later you get a uh, lightsaber and you're just like, why the fuck have I been using this shit all day? <laughs> I've been playing I, this game for 10 hours and I used a sword? Why? Why, why do people use this? I have no use idea. This? <laughs> I could not begin to tell you. I think it worked really well, actually, for the uh, for the the gameplay progression. But literally, it nothing else about it made sense. <laughs> they kind of just give you a lightsaber right off the bat? No, because in the story, you're just kind of like this kind of random nobody who's kind of on a ship, and you're like, okay, wh- where am I? And then you kind of figure out who you are and what all has happened, and then you become a Jedi later, uh, or uh, it's, it's kind of got a lot of choose-your-own-adventure, so you can become a Sith later, too. But, um, uh, so, but, like... You don't learn about all this force stuff until much later. It's it's kind of like because uh, it's it's actually all based on D twenty Star Wars, uh, which is actually kind of interesting. Which is one of the reasons I think they might have done this is then they could literally just rip stuff from the D twenty Star Wars manual and put it into a video game form and have computers roll the dice instead of you, because that's literally how the the entire internal system of the game worked. Was it was playing the D twenty Star Wars system. Um, but like you, you, uh, so you, you start with like, I think there's three, uh, classes and basically I forget what they're called, but it's basically fighter rogue or, uh, ranger ish thing. Uh, so, so you can basically, do you excel in skills and stuff like that? Do you excel in melee force or in ranged force? It's more or less what you do. And then later you kind of get like these prestige class things that are like Jedi, uh, different kinds of Jedi. So um, as a as a progression, I think it works really well to start with a sword and then you get better swords and you get better swords and then you get lightsabers and they're doing like 46 damage instead of, you know, the 2d6 cap of uh, what a regular sword would do. Stuff like that. Um, yeah. It so, makes sense from a gameplay perspective. Yeah, and but like the entire time, I was still just thinking, why the fuck is everybody using a sword? I'm a goddamn Jedi. That they're gonna come at me. I'm wielding two fucking lightsabers. I'm like, it. It was also kind of funny because they put in um the monk flurry of blows basically as a feat progression, so you could buy it as feats. Uh, so by the end of the game, I was like using monk flurry of blows with two weapon fighting. So I would basically take my two lightsabers and attack you with each one of them five times in a round. And I'm just like, why would anybody come at me with a sword? But they still are. To the end of the game, people have swords. And no one has a blaster. I mean, people have bla It's like you either have a blaster or a sword, right? It's like you're melee or ranged, and all ranged is lasers. But it's like, why? If all ranged is lasers, why does anybody have a sword? So stupid. It makes no sense. And no, no one has, like, armor? 
I mean, you have armor. Yeah, you have armor. It gives you AC okay. because it's built on the D&D system. But, I mean, it affects swords and blasters equally because of the game balance. That is super weird. It is. It's incredibly weird. But also, you think about a lot of the Final Fantasy games. Right. They have the same thing going on. That's true. Where Actually, Final Fantasy has- is a great example of like technology that makes no fucking sense in <laughs> relation to the average tech level of the world. Yeah. Like, one guy has a big-ass sword, uh-huh. and a different guy has a machine gun hand. Yeah. <laughs> How does machine gun hand not win every time? Um, Because the sword guy is the main character. Yeah, that's... He's got plot armor and stuff. (laughs) So, game contrivances. Yeah, and there's all sorts of crazy technology in, uh, like, there's, like, Captain America-level, like, super soldier engineering. Uh, There's ridiculous magic. I mean, on the other hand, like, I feel like you could actually make the argument, though. Like, if you're going to have this ridiculous amount of technology... How is that different from having a ridiculous level of magic? Right? Because, like, in a D&D campaign, magic always wins. If you have a mage and a fighter at level 20, the mage will fucking win. Yeah. Unless he's a dumbass and he's like, magic missile. But then, <laughs> like, like if he, if he gives the round to the fighter... Like, if the fighter gets the initiative... He might be able to full attack him and kill the other guy. But beyond that, like, if the mage either goes first or lives through the first fighter's attacks, then the mage wins. End of story. Magic is always better, especially since the fighter is probably relying on magical equipment, right? Yeah. So, like... Magic is just as busted as technology. It makes just as little sense from both a logical standpoint and a gameplay standpoint as technology. And then I'm thinking, well, in Final Fantasy, a gun does about as much damage as a sword. Yeah. It is is about as easy to hit with as a sword. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe their laws of physics are different. Yeah, that's a kind of an interesting way to look at it, too. You know, it's one of those things that's, again, DM hand-waved, whatever, you know, nobody nobody think twice about yeah. it. But at the same time, it could just be like, yeah, physics doesn't work the same, so it's harder to propel a bullet in this game. Uh, where, But at the same time, maybe it's harder, because Cloud has a huge fucking sword. Like, in real life, if you get hit by an eight-foot... By two foot fucking piece of metal that's sharp, you're gonna fucking die. And if you get hit by a bullet, you're gonna fucking die. But people take ten or twelve hits from either one of these, and they're they're still okay, right? Yeah. So. Also in real yeah. life, uh, Cloud cannot swing that sword because it outweighs him. Huh. He he could not swing that sword without falling over. Yeah. At least. Uh, so, maybe with 
extremely schizophrenic technologically. Uh, things like Final Fantasy. We just hand, wave our hands and say, I guess that's how they wanted to uh, say that it worked. Uh-huh. I feel like t- Final Fantasy is kind of a weird series on that because it's like one through five, it was pretty much strictly high fantasy. Um, and then six was just like, okay, let's do some steampunk, some magitech, where it's like combining magic and technology. Ooh, that's cool. And then seven was just like, okay, throw everything out the window. We can have swords, we can have guns, we can have goddamn motorcycles. What is going on? I don't even know, but it's fucking cool. <laughs> and then, like, they just got worse from there, right? <laughs> as far yeah. as this goes. Like, Final Fantasy 15 is like, you're driving cars, you're, you know, doing swords, doing giant-ass flips and shit. I don't know. Um, Final Fantasy 15 is a game I've been meaning to get. I should get that as long as I have it. Although, Final Fantasy 7 Remake is coming out, like, next week. So... Probably won't yeah. immediately, but I might get that soon because I wonder if that's on the spring sale. That'd be good. Anyways, the point of the story is games with tech inexplicably more advanced in the setting. Do we have anything else to say on this, Chris? Unless the technology is so advanced and alien uh-huh. that humans would have a hard time interacting with it. It doesn't make a lot of real-world sense. However, the same thing I said in uh, the tabletop section applies. And that if you want to have a guy swinging a sword next to a guy with a machine gun hand, because you think that's cool, go for it. Plus a genetic experiment to turn into a wolf and a fucking cat riding a moogle. Yeah, I... (laughs) I don't know what's going on with that. Except the Moogle is like inexplicably like way fatter than any of the other Moogles in the world. And it turns out he's a robot later. It does, doesn't it? I forgot about that. I haven't played that game in a long ass time. Yeah, that character didn't make a lot of sense. I was thinking of replaying um, uh, not Final Fantasy VII, but actually um, Crisis Core uh, before Remake comes out. Because I found my PSP the other day, and I was like, oh, hey, I should do this. And I, it was actually kind of cool, because I, I specifically, uh, there's one scene in Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core that I know everybody who has played this knows exactly the scene I am talking about right now. Like, without even saying what the scene is, there's that scene, right? And I made a save point just so that I could literally, like, walk into that scene, a separate save point and I booted it up and it's like it actually still looks pretty good on my PSP today I'm like actually kind of impressed so I might boot that back up tomorrow or something going forward because I got so much fucking time to play video games life is weird right now though I don't know but I might play that everyone inside there mm-hmm. out of work or they're furloughed yeah I got a weird situation too, because I'm like, I'm out of work, but I'm I'm still being paid, so I'm like, okay, I'll take it, um, 
Because basically, yeah. as a school bus driver, I can't drive kids to school because all the schools are... We actually just had an announcement today. They're going to be doing uh, distance learning uh, th- through the rest of the semester. So for the rest of the school year until the end of May, they're going to be doing basically online learning. Where with my kids, I basically get like two or three little assignments a day, which it's it's probably a little different because my my kids are real young, uh, you know my uh, they're preschool and kindergarten, so for them it's like two or three assignments a day, and then I just do those and I'm like okay, uh, you know we're good for the day, whatever. Um, but as a school bus driver, I'm like, I don't just rely on my regular income because I, I get uh, basically 30 hours a week from my route and then I get extra whatever else I work on field trips and stuff. And so this the, the last month's paycheck was fine because uh, I had all my field trips. I get paid once a month. I get all of my field trips on the last month paycheck but the next month is going to have literally zero uh field trips on it so it's it's going to be like i'm getting paid so i'm super happy for that but i'm getting no field trips so my paycheck is going to be like shorter than it usually is and i'm like a little worried for that you know so it's like so it's a more stressful situation to be in yeah certainly especially when i'm like also like stuck at home all day and it's like, uh, like I can't even go to the park now. Apparently, I'm like, what, what, what do I even do? You know, I'm like trying to think of things to do with my kids all day. I'm like, okay, we can play a board game every now and then. Those only last so long. We can do this or that, play Legos or something. But you know, I feel like a lot, like may, even too much of the time. I feel like I'm just like, okay, we're just playing video games. We're just watching TV, some shit like that. So it's it's a real weird ass situation for me because as much as I talk about video games, I try to de-emphasize them for my kids. Because I know that if I had no kids, that basically all I would ever fucking do is play video games. <laughs> and I am, like, actually kind of scared shitless that my kids will end up like that. So I'm like, I try to push them into different directions uh, in their lives. That they're not just pigeonholed into doing this all the time. That You know, they can read a book every now and then. And, and luckily, they're super interested in a lot of things, which is another thing that I have. But, um, but I feel like, like video games in this situation would like totally just be the only thing I did in my life if I didn't have my kids. And so I'm like trying to, you know, work on music with them, do different things like that. Cause like, it's, it's so weird too. Cause I I can't even work on music cause I can't go over to my, uh, music practice anymore my pipe band uh performs at a or we don't we practice at a church uh the church is closed we uh, you know it's it's hard as shit to do anything musical i can't perform anywhere i can't get gigs at bars the bars are all fucking closed it turns out when everywhere is closed and you have to stay inside all the time uh and you can't like go out and see friends Mm mm-hmm uh, and he can't work. That there's not really all that much to do. Yeah. Other than fuck around on the internet and play video games. Yeah. Or maybe like work out if, like, you're in a prison or something. Yep. 
So anyways, it's a freaky-ass fucking time and shit, so, um... Anyways, uh, I guess, is that all for our video game topic, since we've vaguely gone off topic? Uh, yep. Cool, so now's the part of the podcast where we end the podcast by, uh, just saying some random shit until somebody says something really awkward. Although, actually, I was just thinking earlier that we haven't done our shameless plug part for a little while. So, um, my name is Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. You can catch me at twoguysplayingzelda.com. I write, uh, articles periodically for them. Uh, also the new TGPZ gaming site, uh, check them out. Um, you can look them up on Twitter or, uh, just look them up on their site or Facebook or wherever. Um, they've got a new Facebook page called Gaming Realm, which is just kind of all sort of gaming related, uh, stuff. Uh, PS4, Xbox, Switch, you know, whatever you're into, um... You, you, you can find something interesting there, an interesting conversation if you want to post something, stuff like that. Uh, so check us out there. Um, and I think I'm going to be posting something soon to my YouTube channel because I haven't posted anything like that in a while. And I think I was, I was thinking of getting back to my weird-ass Ocarina of Time stuff that I've been doing lately. So uh, that should be coming to my YouTube channel lately. Look me up, A Drink to the Past on YouTube. Okay. Uh, I am Chris Icky 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 Wu-Tang Woo-Doo. Dad. <laughs> I get it. I wrote the adventure House of Flowers. Uh, adventure about two godlike entities fighting for control in a weird uh, house using flower creatures as proxies. Neat. Uh, you can pick that up for any price you like, including the price of free on DriveThruRPG. I also co-wrote Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition, uh, which is very recognizable as similar to D&D. Uh, you can pick that up for any price you like. Uh, it's got all our favorite house rules. Uh, and the co-author that I wrote that with has several excellent adventures that you can pick up on through RPG as well, including Descent into Madness, uh, but you gotta pay for those. Those cost money. Uh, speaking of Nick, you ever talked to him about getting on the podcast? <clears throat> Damn it. I think we've talked to him a few times. Yeah, as long uh, as he's... situation hasn't allowed it. Oh, yeah, well, is he working from home? I don't know what his actual work situation is, other than he doesn't seem to do much. He was telling me the other day uh, when he came over, uh, the last time we had D&D before we, uh disbanded for COVID bullshit, he actually came over to D&D. And it was like the first time I've seen him in a couple of years. And he's like, hey, man, what's up? All I do for work is drink beer. <laughs> I was drunk at work the other day. I'm like, okay, Nick, thanks. I wish I could do that. But they have kind of frown upon drinking beer when you're driving school children to work. To ch school children to work or school children to... Wherever the hell school children go, I don't know. 
I'm not you paid just right them now. Off in the... I mean, I'm paid right now. It's like work, Hopefully but worse. Hopefully, you're paid. Oh, to <laughs> yeah. be in disgust. Because they don't get make money. <clears throat> right, Chris, you still have a job? Uh, yes, fortunately. Oh, that's good. In they laid the off midst all of the, the other travel hits? industry, uh, where layoffs are imminent everywhere. Mm-hmm. I happen to keep my job this week. That's good. Which good. I'm very fortunate for. Hey, yeah. Chris, can we borrow twenty bucks? Just kidding. Oh. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'll have to spray it with disinfectant. <laughs> I wish customers would do that at my grocery store. They don't just have like a hand sanitizer pump at oh the thing. They, they do, but we hide it. Right. <laughs> we actually do because people have tried to walk off with our sanitizer. Because they can't actually get any on the store shelf? No, or? they can't because, well, it's impossible because actually we're... Sending it. Do you guys super- have like the shields? Yeah, but they're stupid because they put them in the wrong place. Ah. Um, Any shields? Yeah, they they put they installed these like these shields. Which- Chris said something else. <laughs> okay. Well, That's my wife, you dick. I don't know what he referenced. <laughs> I'm a married woman. Sorry, sorry, you- It's okay, I- Chris. It's me. Um, I'd kick your ass if you had one. Yeah, it's that's funny because Chris is skinny as shit. Very skinny. Um, they installed these terrible shields that's like so customers stand like right next to where the shield is. So they literally, so they installed it right in front of me, which is fine. So they're protecting my customer, but the customer. Stands like not even a foot away from where the the shield stops. <laughs> so it's like customers here, <coughs> protective shield here. That would make sense. So it's like a sneeze guard. It's like see. a sneeze guard, but there it's not actually good. And it's gigantic, and it's like you know people cough on you all the time. Not yet. So it blocks but like half of the five, particulates. Five fucking customers. So I have a very nice personality. Thank you. I That's why she's yelling about her five fucking customers. So I I am generally a very nice person when it comes to my customers. They like me, I like them, everything's usually good. But five of my regulars touched me today. And I am mad. I am mad. You don't touch me. I have an asthmatic husband and two little boys. Don't freaking touch people. Why would why would they touch people on a normal day? Because I was having a bad day, so they thought that it would be okay to touch my shoulder and sit, pat me and say that it's going to be okay. Or poke me randomly to get my attention. I mean, I poke you all the time. Oh, no, you don't. You wish. <laughs> Well, anyway. That was a sex joke. Okay, and we're done. <laughs> no, it can't be done until we say something like ridiculously awkward. That's kind of the point. Well, that you painting just... looks the way I feel. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I'll. I, I'm, I'm also not done with my beer. I think that's like an unwritten rule of drink to the past, is we can't be done until Sean is done with his beer. So but I'm also, not... drink your beer. I want to go to bed, mm-hmm. but not for the bed that you want to do. Aww.